Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you, and I would encourage you to have your Bibles, um, turn to Luke chapter 18. We're following along with Jesus. He has his face set for Jerusalem, and he's encountering different groups of people along the way. The religious leaders, a.k.a. the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the disciples that follow him and his apostles, um, the common people, the tax collectors, and the sinners, and all of them are coming to Jesus and seeking the kingdom, and yet in so many different ways, they all bring with them their own, quote, theology, what they think Jesus should be, what they think Messiah, the deliverer of Israel should be, what they think the kingdom of God should be. And in all fairness, I think we probably all have come this morning with expectations of what would we find when we gather together in the name of Jesus and lift up our voices in praise and prayer and fellowship and go to His Word. And yet, I think as many of you have walked with the Lord for any length of time, quite often, Jesus brings more than we ever dream or imagine. So I just ask right now that we would pray and prepare our hearts to hear what the Spirit would say to us this morning. If you'll bow your heart with me, please. Father God, we do thank you for your son, Jesus, for his blood that cleanses us, for his body that's broken for us, Lord, for the promise, Lord, that uh, he not only has come, but he's coming again to take us to be with him, Lord, for the work of your Holy Spirit in our life, sanctifying us, setting us apart, cleansing us, and preparing us for heaven. And even this very morning, as we gather in your name, two or three, we recognize, Lord, that you are present that your Holy Spirit here is doing its work. So we just ask right now that you would pause our heart, our minds, our agendas to stop and listen, to hear what the Spirit has to say to this church in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So kind of exciting. Chapter 17, we saw Jesus teaching on faith and the need of faith for forgiveness, faith in duty, simply doing what we've been asked, and faith in gratitude, such as the 10 leopards that, lepers that were cleansed and one just came back and gave thanks. And then we got into this place where the Pharisees, this one group, approached them and he asked, when is the kingdom of God coming? When will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus answered, it's not going to come with observation. You're not going to see it. And yet, he was Messiah, King of the Jews. He is God Almighty. And he said, if you can handle this, if you can understand it, it's in your midst. Here you are, I'm in the middle of all of you, and you're looking upon me, but you simply can't see the kingdom. It's not going to come with observation, but it's an inside job. It's a work of the heart. And he went on to explain, it'll be like when the lightning flashes from the east to the west, the whole world's going to know it. Don't go out looking after Jesus's and false Christs and Messiahs. He's here, he's there. He goes, that's not how it's going to work. But it will be, then he goes on, um, 
that he has to go to Jerusalem and suffer first. When is it going to happen? Well, it's not going to happen until I go to Jerusalem, until I'm crucified, buried, rose again, bringing with me um, those who are captive and bringing that promise that all who look to my returning will be saved. And then he says, it'll be like in the days of Noah, like in the days of Lot, business as usual, marrying, doing business, going on, and then one will be taken and one left and one taken and one left, a picture of the rapture, and, and that's the place that we are right now. The lightning hasn't shined from east to west that everybody knows Jesus is here, although there are some cults that teach He has already returned. Kind of a sad state of affairs if this is heaven on earth. Not what I was anticipating, not what I was expecting, right? And, and, and now we come into this passage in chapter 18. He has just told them, they had asked, when will the kingdom come? It will come, but not yet. First, we have to have the church taken away. Verse 37 of chapter 17, last thing they asked, they, they answered and said to him, where, Lord? So he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Kind of enigmatic, but he's just saying, it's, it's in the presence of his body wherever his body would be gathered. Sometimes when we see each other and we say, you know, see you later, we can say here, there, or in the air. And we, it's wherever two or three are gathered in his name, his kingdom is present, okay? And that's kind of what he's saying, and that's going to continue on from the church age, the time when Jesus was resurrected and rose again and went to heaven and left His Holy Spirit with the body of Christ, that continues on into heaven, right? In the air. So, now we come to uh, 18.1, then He spoke a parable to them. Now, remember, parables are simple sayings that have a point, and you should be able to easily identify the point of the parable. Parables are not to be parsed and picked apart into all its little teeny components and try to identify this represents that and this represents that. That's spiritualization. That is not literal grammatical interpretation, especially when the author, Luke, tells us it's a parable. He does. He says he spoke to them a parable. Then he's setting us up to prepare to receive the point. That's what this is all about, the point. So this is the parable. He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So there we go. We get the point of the parable right there. So everything that comes after this is to reinforce that idea, to pray and to not lose heart. This morning's passage is going to do a lot with prayer and, and anticipation of prayer, prayer without ceasing, Praying knowing that where two or three are gathered in His name, He is there. Praying knowing that He ever lives to intercede for us. He's praying on behalf of us. And so we want to look at, at prayer and, and how important that is to not lose heart. Now, He had just told the parable of the gathering of the saints where the body is, that's where the eagles will be gathered. This parable now reinforces that, okay? So, 
what is this going to look like? Where will this be? How will we know what it looks like? He, he uses this idea of not losing heart. Pray and look for Jesus. Pray and keep your eyes on Jesus um, and not lose heart. Kind of a, a fun little thing I want to throw in here. It, it may or may not fit, but it really impressed me when I first heard it. There was a guy by the name of Carl Lichter, and he was a psychologist at Harvard in the 1950s. And he did an experiment with rats to see how he could influence their, um, their heart to persist and to proceed. So what he did was he took some rats, wild rats, and dropped them in a bucket full of water to see how long they could swim without drowning. In many cases, it only took them 15 seconds, just a couple minutes at best, and they drowned. Now, I know some of you think, that's cruel, okay? And okay, you can think that, but it proves a point, right? That these wild rats couldn't swim too long and they drowned. Then he took domestic rats and dropped them in, and it was amazing. They lasted several minutes, and he had this hypothesis that Maybe those who had been cared for, received a little bit, expected a little bit more than the wild rats, maybe they had higher hopes, higher expectations. So then he went and he took the same group of rats, not the ones that died, but the ones that he, you know, he had picked from and dropped them in the bucket. And then as soon as they were about to drown, he pulled them out, dried them off, got them stable, dropped them back in again. This went on for 60 hours, not 15 minutes, not a couple minutes. And he concluded that he had given these rats hope and that in hope they could endure an amazing amount of grief. You know, it's the same kind of thing that we see in ourselves. Here Jesus has told us, first I have to go to Jerusalem, going to be crucified buried, rise again. Then you are going to be like the days of Noah, okay? Marrying and getting married, but you also know the days of Noah were wicked and evil times. The days of Lot, wicked and evil times. The days that we live in, wicked and evil times. It's going to be days like today, but don't lose hope. So he gives us a parable to help us not lose hope. Men ought to Pray and not lose heart. And here's the parable. There was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard men. Okay, so just a regular old guy, not, not a religious guy. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming, she weary me. Yes, yeah, it's kind of like little children, right? And they come to you, can we do this? No. Can we do this? No. Can we do this? No. If you say that one more time, no. <laughs> you know, and, and it, you just, they wear you out, right? And that's what he says. But this is just a regular old secular uh, run-of-the-mill guy, not religious, no other thing, but, but he, he gives in, he caves. Verse 7, or I'm sorry, verse 6, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, you'll wear me out. Now look what he says, 
And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? He's not comparing God to this pagan, heathen judge. He's saying God is even better. Should not God, our Father, do much better for us than even this secular judge? And even the secular judge gave in when he persisted long enough. But our, our Father in heaven, he's not like that. He'll bear long with us, but he will answer us. Verse 8, he says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Damn, that word speedily, it's, it's uh, tachia, and it comes from the same idea that we get tachometer. You might know that on a car. It measures revolutions for a min minute. And it says, when you pray to God, God will answer you, bam, speedily. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go over and over and over again. And yet, in this picture of this parable, there's a main point, a main point that men ought to pray and not lose heart. When we go to our Father in heaven, our judge, and we say, there's a situation that is um, wrong, he hears and he answers. Now, sometimes it seems like a delay on our side. Often, um, what he is doing is trying to get our heart aligned with his heart. Pray and pray and pray till we start understanding what his will is. How many times have you never experienced something where um, you pray for something only to see some other answer not the one you hoped for, and down the road you realize, wow, I'm glad he didn't give me what I asked for, but he gave me something even better that has worked out better in my life. He says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Again, this is about faith, believing in God, trusting in God. God, increase our faith. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, right, just be a good servant and do your duty. Just be grateful. When I do do something, it, demonstrate your faith by trusting me and believing me. And when I have told you that I am coming back, believe me. Now, do we pray, Lord Jesus, come? <laughs> I do every day, okay? Looking at the light of things that are going on in the world today, Lord please come and, 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 and take us home to be with you. And yet we also know that when it happens, it will happen in a twinkling, in the blink of an eye. And we want to be ready. We want to be prepared. So how do you get ready? <laughs> you pray. You stay in a constant state of prayer. Paul would say to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. And that's always to be mindful of God. It doesn't mean that you're always like on your knees with your hands folded and your eyes closed, okay? You know why we fold our hands and we close our eyes? You know why you were taught to pray that way? It keeps you from fiddling around while you're praying. Your mom and dad do that so they can kind of keep you steady, okay? You can pray with your eyes open. In fact, you should be praying with your eyes open if you're driving a car, right? But you pray, and it's just that constant dialogue, that, that conversation that you're always mindful of. I wonder what my father's doing right now. Let me talk to my father. Oh, I love you. Oh, thank you for this, Lord, you know, being grateful. Oh, forgive that person for cutting me off at the intersection, or, or whatever it might be. You're just always talking to God. That's praying without ceasing. Um, and, and just know this, that the kingdom is in our midst. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Is that what we're praying? Are we looking for Jesus in our midst? Are we expecting him to be here and answer our prayers? What's that expectancy? That, that idea that Jesus is right here. He goes on with another parable on pr prayer. He also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Some people don't think they need to pray. They don't think they need to pray heaven come. They don't need to pray for forgiveness. They don't need to pray for gratitude. They're good. They're self-made men. They trust in their own righteousness. I'm good. I got this. So he tells this parable. Obviously, he's been talking with the Pharisees a lot. They're in the crowd. They're overhearing all of this. Some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now, this is about as far on the opposite end of the spectrum as you can get. The Pharisees considered the uber-religious righteous, holy people. And the tax collector, even though they're a Jewish citizen, they're working for the occupying enemy, the Roman government, and they're taking money from the Jews to give to the Roman Empire, so they're really despised and looked down upon. But here are the two people in this parable, okay? What's the point going to be? Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Five times he says I. <laughs> it's funny, it kind of repeats itself different places in the scripture. If you go to Isaiah chapter 14, Lucifer, proclaiming himself to be like God, says, I will set my throne above the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Five, five times Lucifer says, I, 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 right? And, and it just keeps repeating, and it's, this is all about itself. He's self-righteous. He doesn't need God's righteousness. I, 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 And he, he talks about all these things and condemns others. There's some things in this prayer that we would do well not to imitate, okay? For starters, prayer is not all about us. It's not wrong to come to God with your prayers and discuss your situation, and yet here he is justifying himself before God. I thank you that I'm not like all of these things, um, and, and then trying to get in on God's good side with, I fast twice a week, and, you know, I'm so good. You, you've got to bless me. But then he compares that in verse 13, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you've ever asked somebody, had somebody say to you, you know, where's the sinner's prayer in the Bible? This is it right here. This is the sinner's prayer. <laughs> it's a sinner, and he's praying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what's so beautiful about this sinner's prayer? Is he recognizes God, the righteous judge, holy, pure, and he recognizes himself. He can't even lift his eyes. He sees his position, defiled and poor, a sinner. And yet, even in this 
relationship where there's pure and holy God and He and His sins, He recognized the relationship that is based on mercy. Not getting what you deserve. What do we deserve? The wages of sin is death, all of us. There's not a righteous one amongst us in our own righteousness, and yet he recognizes he doesn't come to God based on his good works or his deeds, his status, his standing in the community, his impression or who he thinks of himself. This tax collector recognizes that the way we approach God is mercy. God is merciful. I, I, I love this when Moses meets God in the wilderness and God tells him who he is. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord God. And the first attribute he describes himself with is merciful. You can't approach God any other way but by his mercy. His mercy giving us what we do not deserve. Or not giving us what we do deserve, I should say right? And His grace, giving us what we don't deserve. And while we don't deserve anything good, He gave us His Son that we could be cleansed and come into a relationship with Him. So, the sinner recognizes his position, good theology, um, even from a wicked person. Now, Jesus summarizes this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? And as we come into a conversation and prayer with God, it, I, I, I learned this way back when I was a very young Christian. Somebody shared it with me, and it's worked really good most of my life. Uh, this little uh, acronym, A-C-T-S, it's for the word ACTS, but it's approaching God and how we pray, and we open up with a, adoration. God, you are holy. God, you are righteous. God, you are pure. And you just pray all the attributes of God in adoration and awe of God. All of the A's, just, just coming into His presence and recognizing, starting your prayer, recognizing who you're talking to and who you are. Then C, confession coming to Him and recognizing, Lord, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, right? I'm coming into Your presence based on the blood of Your Son, Jesus Christ, but You have opened the door that I may approach You and have boldness in my time of need to receive Your mercy. And then we go to T, Thanksgiving, and start thinking of all the things that we're thankful for. It's like, but aren't we supposed to just ask Him for stuff? Well, that's the last one, S, supplications. But I find quite often when I start with adoration and I move into confession and I go on to thanksgiving, more often than not, I just about run out of time before I ask for anything for myself. Because there, you, there's no end to how much adoration, confession, and thanksgiving you can do. But even then, it's not wrong to ask have mercy on me, a sinner, or ask, have mercy on Gabe, a sinner, if I'm praying for him. <laughs> we do that for our brothers and sisters occasionally, right? It doesn't hurt. We can pray around uh, the church. In fact, we were in our prayer group the other day on Wednesdays before the midweek service. We get together for prayer. Y'all are welcome. 
5.30 every Wednesday. And we have a church directory. How many of you guys have a church directory? We have church directories. They're on the little rounder out in the lobby. After this morning's service, if you're one of the, the sixth person out or tenth person out the door, they might be gone. You have to get one next week. But one of the things we have on these prayer prompts to help us prayer is uh, to pray for the directory. And uh, I think it was Shiloh was asking, and it was a good, it was a great thing. I don't know how to pray for the directory. And I'm like, yeah, that's a weird thing, right? The idea is to pray the directory. It's loaded up with the names of everybody in the church. And you just start at A, and you start down the names of the people and start praying for them. What you'll find is you don't know half the names, you don't know half the people, and it's like, okay, start praying for them, and you'll start finding out you're going to meet and know everybody in the church in a very short period of time if you'll just pray through the directory. So there's a lot of things that we can do coming to Him in prayer. But I love what Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." We goes on to another illustration, verse 15, then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And so now, People are bringing their babies, just like we had a baby dedication um, just a, a couple of weeks ago, right? And, and come up and just receive that blessing. And, and so they're bringing their babies. I, I, I think it's kind of interesting here uh, in verse 15, and they, that's, in, that's a masculine pronoun, okay? In the original language, you can tell if it's male or female, kind of like the Spanish language. Here in Greek, you can see it was the father's that we're bringing the infants to Him. I just love that, a picture of the role of the dad and saying, can you bless my child? Can you bless my child? Well, this is something that was very common in their day. People would go to the rabbi, I need a blessing, I need a blessing, right? Um, and so they were bringing these children that He might touch them, lay hands on Him. We see this throughout the Scriptures, kind of a way of just transferring, making that connection, right? If I could only touch the hem of His robe, I could be healed, or all the different ways that we try to make contact. Just that touch, that, that human touch, could I just be touched? I need a touch from you. Touch my child. Bless me so that it might touch him, but when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Now, this is recorded also in Matthew's gospel, and it doesn't say why they rebuked the, the people coming, bringing the babies. Maybe they thought they were bothering Jesus, or maybe the crowds were getting too big, or who knows all the different reasons, but often the disciples, it's their um, errors that kind of highlight for us errors that we might not, you know, we can learn from their lessons, right? And so here's an opportunity to learn from this lesson in trying to receive a blessing from Jesus, okay? What are we going to learn? Jesus called them to Him and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. And this is what He's explaining about faith and prayer and when will the kingdom come and where will the kingdom be? What will the kingdom look like? It looks like this. Bring your kids to me, 
okay? Just like many of you have brought your children here this morning, and they're in the King's Kids Ministry, and at their level, age appropriate, and their ability to understand and receive, we're sharing Jesus with those kids on their level. And this is the idea, that we would bring our kids to Jesus, that we would dedicate them to Him, and that He would bless them. And so, uh, he says, assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And just a, just a thought about this, you know, in order to become a child of God, a king's kid, Jesus would tell Nicodemus, the Pharisee, you must be born again. You must be born into the kingdom of God. In Romans 8, uh, Paul explains it kind of like this way. Romans 8, I'll pick up at verse 12 and read through 17. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We must be born of the Spirit. We must be born from above. We must be born again. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is the Hebrew word for father, but it's daddy, okay? It literally means, it's that, it's that way that children would cry out, daddy, a very intimate relationship. It says in verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we approach Him, our Father who art in heaven, Daddy, Abba. It says, verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we might also be glorified with Him. And so we must come to God as little children. Little children can't work for their salvation they can't contribute anything to their salvation. They can't be accepted based on anything that they have done. They just come. And actually, they're even brought, just like somebody brought you to Jesus. At some point in life, you have friends, workmates, somebody that, you know, grandmothers, people that are praying for you. Uh, often, for most of us, it's a whole parade of people over a lifetime. And then at some point, it, you come to that place where you receive what God is giving you, and you have nothing to contribute to it. This is a picture of coming as a little child. It goes on in verse 18, now an illustration. We've got these parables, okay, of, of praying, not losing heart, having faith that the Son of Man is coming to get me. Jesus is coming back. And humbling ourselves, not getting proud and arrogant, and just accepting what God is doing on my behalf. So we get to see an illustration. Verse 18, now a certain ruler, and in it's also recorded in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, this is a rich young ruler is the way that this is described. So it's a young man, a young prince, somebody with a lot of power, a lot of possessions, a rich young ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if we've been paying attention, I just read to you from the book of Romans, what do we have to do to be heirs with Christ? We're adopted. We have nothing to do with it. 
We simply walk in the Spirit. We accept what Jesus has done on our behalf. We become sons of God, and we're heirs with Christ, okay? So here, he didn't have Romans, so he had to ask Jesus. Now, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? <laughs> no one is good but one. That is God. Now, this sounds a little funny when you read it the first time, and maybe you're trying to figure out, well, what is he trying to do? Jesus is trying to draw out from him, why are you asking me? Why do you come to me and, and ask about inheriting eternal life? You know, why don't you just go ask a rabbi, go ask a Pharisee, all these people, ask your neighbor, why do you come to me? You call me good teacher, okay? But he says there's only one good. And that one good one is God. And what he's doing is trying to help this rich young ruler recognize who he is talking to. Just as the Pharisees said, when will the kingdom come? Jesus said, not when you observe it, but I'll tell you, it's in your midst. I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. This is the kingdom right now where two or three are gathered in his name. Now he's talking to the rich young ruler. Why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. Do you know who you're talking to? You're, you're talking to God. You're talking to God, and you want to know how to inherit eternal life. Or are you just looking for some kind of religious system, some kind of a stairway to heaven, some kind of ladder of works righteousness that you can do this and do that and do this, and when you've done enough, you'll inherit. Now, this goes contrary really to the law and all the law of Moses. Inheritance are passed down to children not slaves, not workers, not employees. You can't work hard enough to get an inheritance. You work for a salary. You don't work for an inheritance. Inheritance are just past. They're bequeathed to children. So really the question is kind of off, and Jesus knows his heart and where he's going. So he asked him, do you, you know the commandments? Um, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. He said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And you might recognize those from the Ten Commandments. This is what's called the second table of the law, if you want. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship to God, and the other six commandments have to do with our relationship to one another. And so Jesus recites these second half of the Ten Commandments to him. He says, you know the law. You're asking me what I must do. Well, this is the law. And he said, I, all these I've kept from my youth. Now, that's pretty proud, arrogant, and audacious. It'd be hard to imagine that he hadn't at some place tripped up and told a fib or, you know, swiped something along the way as children are prone to do. All these I've kept from my youth. Verse 22, so when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Okay, okay, now it's getting good. This, now we're zeroing in. This is, this is what I'm here to hear. This is what I want to know, okay? You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. That's it. That's all I got to do is just get rid of all my stuff. How hard is that? Let me ask you guys this morning, how hard is that? It's, it's tough. It's difficult, right? And especially because this is a rich young ruler. I'm, I'm mindful of uh, 
my son, or grandson, Levi, he's been with us this weekend. We've been having so much fun. But he has an idea that this is mine and that's mine. I said, no, 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 that's grandma's. Oh, that's grandpa's. He goes, no, it's mine, right? And you don't have to teach them that. You have to unteach them. They just have it kind of naturally wired into them stuff and, you know, having it all. And this rich young ruler, he's hitting that on the nerve. You're going to have to give away. You're going to have to let go, okay? Distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me, right? It's kind of like Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. If you look in uh, Matthew's gospel in chapter 6, a couple things he would say. In verse 19, he taught us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And see, really the heart of this matter with this rich young ruler is a matter of the heart of this rich young ruler. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew, Jesus goes on to say, Therefore, don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You want to know how to receive all these blessings, all these possessions? (sighs) The first thing you need to know is it's not about that. What you need to receive is Jesus. And if you have Jesus, Jesus is enough. And just for a moment, not to jump on your toes too hard, but you can tuck them under your chair right now. We're Americans. In America, we are blessed. Even the most destitute here are better off than three-quarters of the world's population. And when we don't show our gratitude and we're not open to saying thank you to what God is doing. We miss all that. Instead, we've got Jesus. You know, around the planet, revival is breaking out in China, in Iran, in parts of Africa, uh, different places. If you get Voice of the Martyrs, you get some of these kind of updates, right? But stuff is going on all around the world, and these people often have nothing. Maybe the clothes on their back. And yet, they forgive others, they're grateful, they're expectant, they're hopeful, they pray, they don't lose heart. And yet, it's funny how stuff often gets in the way of our relationship with God. And we see here the net result, you will have treasure in heaven, come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich." So sad that your stuff could keep you from heaven, from Jesus. And, and often your stuff is not just 
you know, the, the clothes that you wear, the food that you eat, the house that you live in, or the car that you drive. But your stuff can often be your position in life, your job, your title. If I came up to you and I said, hi, what's your name? You know, we usually, that's our title, right? And then the next thing we want to know is what do you do or what's your position or status or station in life? You know, are you a, a, a mom raising children? Are you a, a, a dad going off to work wherever you work at? But at the end of the day, really our status is I'm a child of God. I'm blood-bought, okay? Uh, Spirit-wrought. I, I, I've got my ticket. I'm going to heaven. That's who I am. And along the way, I'm a mom or a dad or an employee or an employer. But first and foremost, in the kingdom, I'm a child of God, forgiven and heaven-bound. And he was sad. Um, it, it's kind of like instead of having all his possessions, he was possessed by his possessions, right? And, and, and that, we used to do this at Rainbow Village. It was kind of fun um, with, uh, when we were in the Philippines, okay? We worked in a ministry called Rainbow Village. It was an orphanage, lots of little children, adoptions going on. But we also had uh, young women, teenage girls that had come to us um, for all kinds of terrible things. And we would take care of them and take them in. But they had very, very little. And uh, they would get, uh, once a year at Christmas time, we would give them a new pair of carsones okay? Jeans, pants. They just love jeans, especially if they had any bling, right? Anything on them. Um, but the rule was, at Christmas time, when you get your pair of jeans, you'll go through your closet, and you might have two or three pair, and you've got to take at least one of those and give them to somebody needy. So, as you would receive, then you would bless and, and do that. But the idea is to learn not to let your, your things become controlling you. We had a couple of graduates from uh, Rainbow Village. They were living down at Scandy Village, which is a city, a, a little community on the dump site, literally people living on the dump or right off the side of the dump. And some of these young kids came to us once. We were having a, a kind of a yard sale and going through all kinds of stuff and blessing the whole community. And we opened up the gates of Rainbow Village and everybody came in and they took whatever clothes and stuff. But when it was all over, there were several large boxes of clothes still left to be um, distributed. And uh, one of the young men that came to us, um, Dendo, he said, can I have those clothes? And, and we're like, well, yeah, sure. We got it. If somebody can haul them off. And, and we realized that he didn't want those for himself. He was going to take them up onto the dump and make sure all the people that didn't have clothes could have a pair of pants or a shirt, right? And th that idea of just being generous and grateful. But with this rich young ruler, his stuff was keeping him from God rather than drawing him to God. Here he is. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Man, you're, you're talking to God himself, Jesus Christ, right? And all you have to do is renounce the things of the world, which is all going to burn, and start walking in the Spirit. Seek first the kingdom of God, and don't worry. All this other stuff, it'll be added to you. You'll just become a conduit for His grace. When Jesus saw that he had become very sorrowful, he said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? Hard. It's difficult for us to lay down our stuff. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, 
This is just a saying, you know, I've heard sermons taught where there was this city gate and they would close the city gates uh, at night, but there was a small little door next to the gate where people could come in and out, but the camel and the caravan arrived late at night and they had to take all the stuff off the camel and get the camel down on his knees so he could crawl through this gate and, and everybody says that little gate was called the eye of the needle. There's nothing to support that in any ancient literature. It sounds fun, it's exciting, but what it's really saying here is it's impossible. When he says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven, what he's basically saying is ain't gonna happen. If what you are known for, if your reputation is your stuff, your status, your position, your possessions. If that's what everybody knows about you, that's what you're working for is he who dies with the most toys wins, you know, then, then you're not going to make it. It's a, it's a sad thing. You've got to just let that go. Give it to God. Be generous. And don't worry. He who casts his bread upon the waters, Proverbs teaches us, will not go hungry. You can't outgive God, Okay. But this rich ruler, he went away. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Um, and those who heard it said, who then can be saved? Well, now that's a, that's a good assessment of ourselves. Wow, I've got stuff. I don't know if I'm good. I'm rich. How many of you guys are here are rich? Get your hands up in the air. <laughs> All of you. There's not, a, there's not a poor person in this room, okay? We're all rich. God's just blessed us with so many things. Um, and, but the idea is it's God's stuff. I'm rich in God. I'm rich in His blessings. I'm rich in His grace. I'm rich in His mercy. I'm rich in forgiveness. I'm rich in all the things that apply to the kingdom of God. And in that, that's a beautiful thing. But how is it possible? Who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. With God, all things are possible. That was Mary's question to the angel when she said, you will be with child. How is that possible? I haven't known a man. He goes, the Spirit of God will overshadow you and you'll conceive and the one who will be born to you will be named Jesus, right? With God, these things are possible. Then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. Okay, so good. Peter is actually making a, an, an accurate obs, uh, observance. We, we walked away from our fishing business. We walked away from our community that we lived in. We, we basically dropped all and are following you. And he said to them, assuredly, verily, where we get the word veritas for our homeschool program, assuredly, verily, or in the Hebrew, amen. Amen, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Hey, amen. I, I love what uh, Jim Elliott, a missionary to the Aka Indians down in Ecuador, uh, back in the 60s. It made time news. It was, it was a big deal. He was with his family and other families, and they were reaching out to these natives in the Amazon jungle who were fierce people that were known to just spear anybody they didn't know. They speared each other. The most common cause of death 
amongst them was just dying by spears. They were wicked, evil, evil people. And uh, his, his little son came to him one day and said, Daddy, I know you have a gun. And he did have a gun because in the Amazon jungles, there's snakes, lions, and tigers, and bears. Oh, my, okay. So he had the gun. But he says, if these people come with you with a spear, are you going to shoot them? And he says, you know I can't do that. I'm going to heaven. If I die, I know where I'm going to be. These people don't know Jesus yet. I can't shoot them. I have to share the gospel with them. Well, sure enough, on one of their outings, there was a group of them, and they were attacked and killed. But he had something he had written in his diary that made this headline story in Time or Life magazine. I can't remember, Life or Life? Time? Life magazine. Uh, and this is, this is his famous quote. A man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? I just love that. It just, it's meant so much to me all the years. And this, this thing that, assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and the age to come eternal life. That is a precious verse to Cheryl and I. 30 years ago, we started a life together, uh, started, started ministry together, raised our, our, our family. Shortly thereafter, God started moving us from place to place to place and serving overseas, wherever we might be, even here in Idaho. It's caused us time with our children. We did not get to see our grandkids grow up. We didn't go to the ball games. We didn't go to uh, the graduation ceremonies. We didn't get to be part of their life. But we knew, and, and this is something we knew early on, God's called us, and we're going to go to heaven. And our children, we have shared the gospel with them. We'll be in heaven together. But right now, here on this earth, life is so fleeting. We must be about our Father's business, knowing that we'll get blessed in this world many times over and in the life to come, eternal life in heaven, right? And, and I take great joy in this. You know, it's funny. You look at different people as they start out in life, and I watch a lot of young families, and they are even not young families yet, but maybe they're courting, and you see that little sparkle in their eyes, and next thing you know, you're doing wedding counseling. Next thing, there's a marriage, a wedding, you know, and, and th things go on. Next thing you know, there's this picture of the couple, and then there's a picture of the couple with a baby, right? And then a couple of members of the family come along, and there's more pictures, and as the pictures grow, time goes on, and pretty soon those kids are starting to age up. Next thing you know, you see a college graduation picture, and then they have their children and their pictures and all this kind of stuff. When finally you get to the end of all this, if you live long enough, you will relinquish your possessions. You'll find yourself, if you live long enough, probably living in a room, right? And you don't need a car. You can't drive. They took your driver's license away. <laughs> All these different things. You basically have your, your bed, your chair, and on the wall some pictures of your family, those you've prayed for and those you're going to go to heaven with. And yet you look back on your life and you look back on all those memories and you sit in that chair and you look and you remember down the halls of life all that God has poured into you. And it's only beginning. There's eternity. There's heaven. And we get to be together with everybody and all these things that are coming upon us. And it's just getting that pers 
perspective, getting that, that picture that the rich young ruler didn't understand. I'm going to stop right there this morning. I pray, and I think we should be praying, I pray that we have heard what Jesus is saying to us today. He is coming. He, he has made a promise, and we can, we can take that promise to the bank. We can take that promise to the judge. We can know the, the judge is hearing us and that the judge is acting on our behalf. We can know and understand that He will have mercy on us if we approach Him through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that which was done for us on the cross. Uh, we can know that as little children, we've been adopted into His kingdom, that we are inheritors of all these blessings, and eternal life. And with that, we have much to give thanks for, much to adore, much to just stand in awe, much to give thanks for, much to confess, and even much to ask that, Lord, You would use me. Just help me be that dutiful servant, just doing what You've told me to do, just walking in Your truth, living according to Your Word, sharing Your grace, inviting people into the family, and being about our Father's business. And if we will focus on that in these days that we live in, trying times, like the days of Lot, like the days of Noah, our job is to lift up our head and rejoice. Our redemption draws nigh, and we need to be busy about our Father's business. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you so much uh, for your word that in this we have seen the truth as we have experienced it in our own life. We've tested you in the things that you've said and see that they, they come to pass. And Lord, the promises that you have yet to fulfill in our life, we are certain they are yes and amen. And they give us hope for our future, hope for today, hope that as we step forward in faith, you will meet us, Lord. You will lead us. You will guide us. You will prosper our path in the things that you have laid out for us before the foundation of the world, that we should walk according to you. I want to just thank you right now for our fellowship. I want to thank you for those who have been teaching our children down the hallway. I want to thank you, Lord, for those who are going to teach us now afterwards with salt and light. I want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together and just hug on one another, encourage each other, and go back out and tell the world that Jesus lives, that He lives, and I know He lives because He lives in me. Help us, Lord, to be Your children in this world, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.